You're listening to a sermon from New Harvest Church in Salem, Oregon. We believe that you were created for connection to Christ and a community of his followers. This sermon is an extension of our desire to become more like Christ by engaging God's word within our weekly gatherings. If you are in the area, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about New Harvest and our ministries at newharvestch.org. Thanksgiving. Isn't it a marvelous holiday? Thanksgiving is so great. I think it's one of the purest holidays. Uh, really stems right from the Bible to be grateful to God for his provision in our lives. And no matter what the circumstances are, it seems that God gives me hope. And hope, uh, it, it just it, in the Bible says, hope never disappoints. doesn't disappoint. I appreciate the hope that God gives no matter what. And uh, that's really my heart for Thanksgiving. I bet you have one. And if you come Wednesday night, you can share it. <laughs> hint, hint. Anyway, I'm glad to be doing what I'm doing today, not only preaching God's word, but uh, culminating a marvelous um, series in the book of Daniel. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Now, something happens most every day in your life and my life. We hear about predictions, predictions of certain things. Like most every day, you probably will hear something about the weather. The weather, there's predictions about the weather all the time. Um, and I'm, I have a real profound pr- prediction. It's going to be rainy this week. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but if you get really into this, predictions about weather, and you're a meteorologist, you kind of predict uh, into advance. Like, how about from now till March? What will it be like in the Pacific Northwest? It's going to be wetter. <laughs> yeah, wetter and warmer. Isn't that what they say? Well, more frequent storms. Ooh. All right. Well, that means water. And then if you're, you know, like live in other parts, they got all these different predictions. And you know, the weatherman is always 100% sure, right? Anyway, so that's something to think about. That's something on my mind. Uh, how can we be 100% sure? The weatherman isn't. How about another area of prediction? How about sports? Sports is, people are really into predicting sports, like who's going to win and who's going to lose. And then they have this other thing, like an over-under. The over-under total score of the game will be, who are you going to pick, under or over? There's so many different ways to kind of enter into this prediction about sports. You know what it's called? Gambling. That's what it is. And I'm not really into it, but there is one particular thing that has in sports that I do kind of like go out on a limb. It's called March Madness. And in March Madness, I fill out a bracket. How many of you fill out a bracket? Yes, a few of you. Take a risk. Anyway, and uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's uh, supposedly a fun thing. I haven't done very well most of the time, but this year I did better than normal. And maybe the best I've ever done, actually. I got in the top five in this group. <laughs> it was pretty good for me. Anyway, the idea of Picking these teams and everything and getting them 100% right all the way down would, would win you a lot of money. But I have tr- tried to do some research. And you know what? No one has ever had a perfect bracket. At least I couldn't find one. If you can find one, you let me know. But 100% sure? No. Can't be done. How about this? I bet everybody kind of could chime up on this and, and say there's predictions about money in our world. Yes, money. Like how well will the stock market do? How should I invest? What about real estate? When it comes to money, there's all kinds of predictions and some people seem pretty successful at this. And so this prediction about money is kind of uh, 
uh, pretty exciting for some and, and so on. But I had a friend, well, I don't know if it was a friend, <laughs> but a person that said to me, you know, you should invest in gold. That's what they told me. And they had it all, they kind of like were, you know, I really care about you. And if you invest in gold, it could really help your family financially and everything like that. Because you can buy gold at a pretty good price now and it's going to go up. And guess what it didn't do? Go up. And so I'm so glad I didn't take his advice. I don't do that kind of thing anyway. But he lost a lot of money. And if I would have lost as much money as he lost, you would have been reading about me in the newspaper. (laughs) It wouldn't have been a good thing. No, no, you don't want to hear about your pastor in the newspaper like that. Well, prediction about the future is pretty big. We're going to say some things in about a month about 2022. You're going to have some ideas about 2022. You're going to make some predictions. I made some predictions about 2020. Man, I had some positive predictions. Man, was I wrong. (laughs) <laughs> so um, these ideas of, of kind of making predictions in the future are fascinating to me. There's some impressive ones. Like in 1909, a guy named Nikola Tesla, Tesla, believe it or not, worked for uh, Thomas Edison Company. And he predicted in 1909 that one day we would carry our phones in our pockets. That's what he said. I'm not kidding you. And the telephone was just invented about that time. So Pretty impressive, right? In 1888, when our church began, there was a, uh, a college dropout turned science fiction author named Edward Bellamy, and he wrote a book called Look, Looking Backwards. And in his novel, he had plastic cards that were used for transactions where you would give and take money. <laughs> but he never got credit. For the credit card, I'm telling you. But his name, Edward Bellamy. Yeah, pretty impressive. But no one kind of gets to the top of making predictions like Mike Lee. Mike Lee really does it. Because Mike Lee, a diehard Chicago Cubs fan, a student at Mission Vallejo High School in 1993, was so convinced that the Chicago Cubs, who hadn't won a pennant since 1908... We're going to win. And in the yearbook, 1993, Michael Lee wrote this. You can barely see it up on the screen, but Chicago Cubs, 2016, world champions. You've heard it here first. And he was right. He was right. He predicted it to be so. And his friend Marcus, when realizing that his friend had done such a thing, When it actually happened that the Cubs won in 2016, he made it public, and he showed this picture, and guess what? It went viral. (laughs) Yeah, it did. Of course it did, because predictions like that are rare. In fact, most predictions don't turn out the way we think. But today, we live in the reality of someone whose predictions were always right. 100% accuracy. And his name is Daniel. And we have been studying his life. And we have seen time and time again, what he said would happen, happened. And so here we are. We're ready for it. We're in Daniel chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. (laughs) That's right. I told people we're doing six chapters this Sunday. They kind of looked at me with this glazed look and said, Really? (laughs) And so, believe it or not, here we go. Whether you like it or not, I'm the pastor. We're going to do it. Here it is. 
Daniel wrote uh, prophecies in these chapters that, as was true in every situation with Daniel, many of them came true. In fact, in these chapters, a lot of the things that Daniel predicted have already taken place. They took place somewhat after he said them, of course, because they were prophecies, like the takeover of, of Babylon by the Persians. He said that. He, he made that clear. And then in his language, in his prophecy, and then it would be the reign of Alexander the Great would follow. And then we'd have this amazing kind of long empire called the Roman Empire. All of this, he said, predicted. This is a part of his prophecies. And so, with these kind of amazing predictions that he's given, are there any that are still yet to take place? Thought you'd never ask. There are. There are some predictions in the book of Daniel that are yet to come that are of special interest to us. Remember, Daniel has been 100% accurate. Are you ready? Daniel, you got your Bibles? We're going to move through it. Get those cell phones going. Get the Bible open to Daniel chapter 7. That's right. That's where we're at. And chapter 7 begins this uh, record of Daniel's prophecies. And as he begins, he gives this uh, very interesting and compelling and uh, somewhat uh, hard to interpret in in some ways uh, picture of four beasts, one after another. But he gets to verse 9 after these beasts, and then he says this, and it's amazing. Watch. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. Whoa! Now, we're not talking about some earthly empire anymore. We got the picture of a heavenly throne, and this is what Daniel inserts right here. Now watch what happens next. Then I continued to watch because the boastful words of the horn was speaking, the horn from the beast, the last one. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. There's another place that talks about that. The other beasts who had been stripped of their authority were allowed to live for a period of time. There was still some, some activity, chaotic activity, intense, extreme activity on earth still. That's, that's the picture. You have this. As a forerunner, the intensity of the moment, uh, we cannot totally picture. But here we go, verse 13. In my vision, at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, or, or even translated, coming on the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. 
And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Are you on the edge of your seat? You should be because we have a picture of number one, the second coming. Our man Daniel gives us a record of something that is still yet to come. And the words of Daniel are ones that even inspire our Lord. Because our Lord in Matthew 24 verses 30 to 31 says very similar things as he says to anticipate. Then at that time, it says in Matthew 24 will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Where did we read that? Oh, oh, that was in Daniel 7.13. Oh, and look at this. With great, with power and great glory. Ooh, there seems to be a little bit about that in verse 14. So Jesus is using the words of Daniel to reiterate and It says in Matthew 24, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect, his chosen from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. What a marvelous kind of exciting kind of like yet peoples on the earth will mourn because it will be a time of judgment, a a time, time of separating, a time of closure. And Daniel predicts this. As Jesus affirms Daniel's words with his words. Wow. Now, when I say these things and I talk about this and I'm trying to build a sense of credibility and the certainty of the prediction, sometimes we have this tinge of doubt. We have this tinge of doubt. Well, it sure has been a while. See, it's been a long time. Daniel wrote these words 2,500 years ago. And Jesus reiterated them, you know, 2,000 years ago. So sometimes we can have doubts, but don't, don't do it. The credibility is certain. The anticipation is for sure. And so Daniel, believe Daniel. Let's believe Daniel and his words and anticipate. First, he tells us about the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days. And this really is a picture of the day of the Lord. It has to be. The way that it's set up and the, the throng of people. The day of the Lord and the, the sense of judgment. The Ancient of Days, the always and forever. The living God sits on his throne in judgment. And what do we learn about him? He, his robe, his robe is pure white, holy. Our God is holy. Ancient of Days, living God. Holy. What else we learn? He is um, the one who exists eternally with hair like wool, it says. And uh, the, the sense of dignity and being in charge. He's wise, forever the same. And he is great and powerful. Great and powerful as you, the flames of fire and the mighty river. And the books are open. The books are open. The record, the record of mankind. And the day of judgment. The day of the Lord is the day of the wrath of God. And it it will be a day of punishment and separation. And Daniel tells us about that. But right on the heels, right on the heels of this chaos and this judgment and everything is the coming of Christ. In verses 13 and 14, the coming of Christ right there. As Philippians 2 says, that at 
at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Every knee will bow. And we read that in verse 14. In verse 14, he, has, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Such inspiring words for us right there. And so I know in our world sometimes things can get uh, uh, difficult and uh, they can make it feel like this is going from bad to worse. I know that. I, I, I understand that. And, and, and if life gets a little more intense, even than it, than it feels right now, don't be discouraged because everywhere in the Bible it says it's going to be that way. Leading up to the time that we're anticipating the most, that we, 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 uh, will, we maranatha, come Lord Jesus, that kind of response. Everywhere it says that the forerunner is going to be the worst days on earth, the worst days in history. So like in the days of Noah, people will go, oh, we're fine. But it'll get, the distress will get more and more, and it will seem to get worse. But know this, God has set a time. And it's already planned by the sovereignty and foreknowledge of God that he is going to come and reign at the appointed day. Daniel predicted it, and I believe it. I hope you do too. Watch what happens next. Let's skip to nine. Yes, there's a lot that's in there, but nine gets our attention. Daniel's praying in chapter nine. He has one of the longest prayers in the Bible. It's really this prayer of honesty and repentance even. And then Gabriel gets his attention. Gabriel says, you've been an honorable man, and I'm 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 gonna share something with you. And here's what he says in verse 24. Verse 24, he says, 77s are decreased. This is chapter 9. For your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy, most holy place, or some translations, most holy one. Maybe it's holy one. I'm kind of drawn to that. Because watch what happens next. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, sort of a time frame there, until the anointed one, the ruler, the the ruler who comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And it, Jerusalem, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. But it, but in times of trouble, it's going, to be, it's going to be challenging. I'll tell you about that. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will, will be put to death. And we'll have nothing. I thought about it. We'll have nothing like no one there for him. No possessions. Buried in a borrowed tomb. Fits, doesn't it? The people of the ruler, the worldly ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations will will have have been decreed. Boom. Verse 27. 
he, kind of a shift here, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Daniel says the, these words. Maybe you recognize some of these words because Jesus used some of these words too. Here we have number two, the first coming. Really, it's a message about the first coming. In the first coming, we have uh, what we're anticipating at Advent, the visited planet, the, 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 the coming of the anointed one. The Ancient of Days was chapter 7. Now the highlight is the anointed one, the anointed one, which is simply Christ, the Messiah. It's, it's, it's connected to him. And what will he do? Well, we get, we get a picture here from Daniel, and he says he will... Um, die for transgression. It's there. You, you, you see it already. I read it. He will pay for sin's penalty. He'll atone for um, wickedness by making amends and reconciling people to God. Atone for wickedness. Reconcile to God. That's the meaning. Atone. Reconcile to God. Those who are separated, like you and me, brought in, made possible, and given the gift of righteousness... Righteousness that lasts forever. There it is. The words of Daniel recorded 500 years before Christ points to what Jesus would be about. Isn't that what he did? He died in our place, right? He, he, he carried our sins. He, he made a way. He, he brought a path to the ancient of days. We could have a relationship with the living God. Jesus did that. And Daniel told us, prophetically, and now we know it so well because it's woven into the New Testament. Every other page is about the work of Jesus and what he did and why he came and how he defeated death and rose from the dead and he is the Savior of the world, the Lord of all. And Daniel is saying, yes, you can count on it. And we know, we, we know, he was, Daniel was absolutely right. 500 years in advance, he said that the anointed one would come and he has, he's already come. And we know that, and we're, we're such a, in a privileged place to know that. And now the, the time frame components, they're, they're interesting. There's a definite time frame outlined in this paragraph, no doubt about it. But, but this is where the ideas of interpretation kind of go like this. <laughs> they're pretty broad. And uh, so... Um, I'm going to take a stab at it, and I might be too precise. I know I am for some Christian scholars, but it makes sense to me. I'm kind of a math guy, and so I started doing some of these numbers, and, <laughs> and you can kind of go, well, I don't know, Barry, but that's okay because, you know, there's a lot of different interpretations, but the 77s with a duration of time and with the kind of connection that I'm going to show you, it makes sense to me. 70 times 7 is 490 years. That makes sense to me. And so that period uh, is the, the, it marked clearly when Daniel says there'll be a restoration, rebuilding of Jerusalem. And we know that, we know that in history, that Ezra arrives in Jerusalem and his heart is for the temple and for the spiritual well-being of the people as a priest. And then Nehemiah comes alongside and he builds a wall and they begin to rebuild Jerusalem. They do it. So 
The year that Ezra arrives is 458 B.C. That's about um, not quite 100 years after Daniel prophesied these words. So that's kind of neat, uh, meaning he's still prophesying. He didn't know that Ezra was going to do this 458. And, you know, some people, sometimes they criticize the Bible and they'll say, well, Daniel, this was probably recorded much later so that Daniel knew that Ezra would come and do that. You see, some skepticism in our world, but isn't it cool that we can really believe the prophecy and that's what God did through Daniel. And here we have it, 458 B.C., Ezra, and 49 years is the suggestion, seven Seven, seven, sevens, 49 years to rebuild, to, to restore. And it says, Daniel says, and this will be in times of trouble. The end of verse 25, in times of trouble. And just read Ezra and Nehemiah and see what they faced, the kind of opposition they faced in rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. It was intense. Took a long time, 49 years. And then... Unfolding from that is this next 62 sevens and still taking kind of a time frame regard to it. It leads up to the anointed one, the anointed one that we've talked about, the first coming, the entry of Christ, the incarnation. There we have it. Now, uh, 62 sevens has this this, uh, kind of timeline of we have the Babylonian empire that is referred to as um, what is the animal that's referred to in that one? I, I can't even remember. I should remember all this. Oh, there it is. It is the lion of Babylon, the lion of Babylon, overthrown by the bear of the Medes and Persians who reigned for 200 years. And then continuing the turmoil of, of emperors and wars and taking and massacring people. and ugh. It was the leopard of the Greek empire and Alexander the Great, 250 years of, of ruling in, that, in, in the major part of the world. And then you have the beast in chapter 7, likened to Rome, 63 BC, the longest um, time of any emperor, empire, and th- that's the idea. Now, some say, well, there could be the four beasts could be like now, like China and Russia and uh, stuff like that. And it could be. But Daniel was giving a forecast that would lead up to the anointed one. And the anointed one is the arrival of Jesus, which is so cool. And just think about this. The way that this is kind of years go by and everything, we have the anointed one dying, left with nothing, for the transgressions, sins, and atonement of the world in 32 AD. Ah, very interesting. Time frame seems like it fits pretty accurately, doesn't it? Like, like within days of Jesus being sacrificed for our sins. So, so compelling. So we have this 500-year span leading up to Jesus, and his, his uh, presence supersedes, the anointed one supersedes the trauma of the day, and we just can, can uh, gain hope because this is the visitation of God to us. Uh, then, uh, Daniel's direct, just like Jesus was direct about the future of Jerusalem. And he says, the people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. 70 AD, Jerusalem and the temple are wiped out by Titus, the emperor of Rome. 
And that's a part of Daniel's prophecy. But when we get to verse 27, we seem to go back to a time frame again. And it's hard to uh, be sure of what exactly is meant in verse 27. But many evangelical scholars will say that he shifts to Satan's role, the evil one, the evil one through what the Bible calls the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many. He'll gain favor in whatever way that he chooses, however that is. Very, very persuasive kind of, um, uh, you know, Antichrist. And then in the middle of the seven, thinking of that as seven years, many interpret that as seven years. You probably heard of the seven-year tribulation. So that's the, the some uh, interpret that specifically like that. In the middle of that, he'll, he'll show his true colors and he will set up uh, his, his authority. And it's going to be really a, um, a terroristic authority, a really uh, um, massacring people and being just totally devilish uh, as he is. Now, Jesus said something similar in Matthew 24, 17, and he, he even quotes Daniel in Matthew 24, 17. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Let those who are in the area, Judea, flee to the mountains and so on. And, and so here it is. We, we have the beginning of the anointed being cut off and dying for the sins of the world and Daniel anticipating the best thing yet is that this, this resurrected one will return and he will defeat the Antichrist and uh, overthrow and eliminate. And that leads us to Daniel 12. How's that? Six chapters and a half hour. Here we go. <laughs> Daniel 12. Here we are in Daniel 12, the culmination, purposed. The title of Daniel 12 is the end times, and that fits. Let's look at the first three verses. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, book, singular, one book, not books with all the record, just a list of people redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. The book will be delivered, rescued. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's a great ending. And uh, I just uh, want to say that I would call this the end coming. The end's coming. The culmination and this is depicted in the resurrection of the dead and also the intensity that leads right up to this culminating time. And the intensity of verse 1 often is interpreted as that tribulation time where it's worse than any other time ever in history. And Jesus said similar words in Matthew 24, 21. He said, 
For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. Jesus said that. Unequaled distress. Worst time of distress ever in history. But the redeemed. The redeemed will be rescued in the nick of time. Just as it says in the text, rescued, raised to eternal life. So this is really the culmination, the certainty, and how I title the message, Better Days Are Ahead. And I can only promise you that in heaven. But here, there's interesting statements. Sometimes um, the idea of resurrected bodies and what that means and how we get them and when it'll happen and so on, lots of uh, speculation on specifics. For example... When you read verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, uh, there's, there's some aspects of Christian theology that say that when you die, you're going to sleep. And I like sleeping, but that's not one that I was kind of uh, that great about, uh, you know, sleeping for a while. Anyway, uh, but it could be worse, of course. So the idea is that Um, In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us such great words when he says in in his uh, belief and his words, which are also uh, accurate and inspired by God, he says to be away from the body, dead, is to be home with the Lord. So when I breathe my last breath, believing the, the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul is that uh, and, the, and the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, is that I'll be home with the Lord right away, that moment, fellowshipping with Jesus and other saints that have uh, re- entered into eternal life. Um, but what our experience in heaven it will be, in my, I'm not sure, I mean, exactly uh, how we will interact, you know, that's a, that's a bit of a mystery, an exciting mystery, but a bit of a mystery. Uh, the idea in heaven, though, is glorious, <laughs> and no more crying or pain or, you know. So when we associate pain with a body, then, then, then it gets like, okay, uh, well, we must have a body. But the other strong teaching in God's word is that the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise imperishable. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we have lots of teaching about the promise of as Jesus was resurrected, we one day, one day it says, we will be resurrected too where our souls will be united with an imperishable body and that is at the last trumpet sound. And that's what I read. And that's what I think. I think that that that, um, living in the new heaven and the new earth with a resurrected body, like the one we kind of get pictured with Jesus and after he's resurrected, I, that's exciting. And some say, well, that's going to happen right away. But, and, and like guys like Randy Elkhorn and stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking it really matters that much. I'm going to be in heaven. <laughs> and if I'm floating around like a soul, I don't know. It's just, it's okay with me. <laughs> uh, but you might have some aversion to that. But anyway, um, you're, you're kind of thinking, I wish you knew more about this, Barry. You're the pastor. But It's a mystery. There's some things about heaven that are a mystery, an exciting mystery, a glorious mystery, a forever mystery. It's going to be fantastic. Right? You awake? (laughs) There you go. Okay. Well, the last part is verse 3. 
The last part is this, this is really a call for us. And it, and it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will uh, like the stars forever and ever. And verse 3 really has a picture of reward. There's a sense of reward to be uh, fully invested in this life and to be used by God as a light to the world. We are the light of the world. And then to help people see Christ and be led to life with him and righteousness with him. What an honor. And it really pictures the life we're called to live now that will be rewarded in heaven forever. Verse 3. So verse 3 is compelling to me and it reminds me of Peter. And Peter says really a powerful paragraph about the day of the Lord and the culmination of all that we know and what, what we will anticipate. He says in Second Peter 3 verse 10... But the day of the Lord, the wrath of God, really, will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be uh, destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. That, that really gets my attention. Speed, it's coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells forever. Well, I was thinking about that speed, it's coming, that idea. And it really seems to me the connection to speed it's coming is living that life of holiness close to God and um, life-giving and godliness devoted to God that those uh, postures will be really the clearest rep- reflection of Jesus in your life to others. And to speed it's coming is the idea that people will, will hear about Jesus through your life, through my life. And God's uh, purposes and plans will be accomplished And when everybody on the globe has had a chance to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus says in in, um, Matthew 24, 14, that then the end will come. It'll be all wrapped up. Everybody will have had a chance to respond, and Jesus will return. And so here I have this last statement here. We represent Jesus in this world. We shine the light. We lead other people to righteousness. Our number one purpose, number one purpose until we breathe our last breath, number one, to represent Jesus. That's it. There's nothing more important. You can't tell me anything in your life that's more important than that. Other things relate to that and how we do our job and what we have at home and how we care for people, all related to that. But the bottom line is, you and I represent Jesus. It's our number one purpose until we get to go to heaven. Well, there you have it. Six chapters. And uh, uh, you're saying, whoa, well, you skipped a lot. Well, you can read it. <laughs> Here we go. Now, we have decided that Daniel is 100% sure, right? 100% sure. And so, he said it. I believe it, 100%. So, with an excellent track record, we can be sure that Jesus is going to come back and that the Lord has a heavenly home for us and he has called us to such a high purpose. So, this year, this past year, it's been a difficult year. 
Some people call it an awful year. And there's been racism, and there's been distress, and there's been disease, and there's been escalated death, there's been terrorism, there's been world conflict, there's been major disunity on almost every front. And how should we respond to that? With hope, friends. We have hope. Better days are ahead. As people of faith, the best way to respond to the present decline is to focus on the hope of the future. I want you to live with the end in mind. Quit getting so focused on what things are happening right now. Look beyond, serve well, have hope, be used, and then go to heaven. How about it? Sound like a plan? <laughs> Mark, yes, right, thank you. Mark Hubble gave me a thumbs up, that's all I need. <laughs> all right, the worship team's coming. We're ready to respond. We love to respond. We have the meal set for you. Do you know that this meal particularly is a foreshadowing of the wedding feast? Did you know that? That the idea of believers uh, participating in the meal has been, and one day we will drink wine and eat bread and have a feast with Jesus in heaven forever. And in anticipation of that, we then partake. We affirm our faith when we take communion. We, uh, we redirect our allegiance. If our allegiance has been strayed, if it, we've been pulled in other directions, if we've lost a sense of hope, if we have been riveted to the things and circumstances of our lives, we come up and we say, Lord, I let that go. I give that to you. And we partake. And that's what I hope you'll see. It's a marvelous opportunity. I invite you up front. There's elements in the back. We're going to respond to the Lord as we worship him and close our time together. Will you please stand?